Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for the ministry of your word. Father, thank you for ministering to us. Father, thank you for ministering among us. Father, we continue to be humbled by your goodness, by your mercy. Father, by the sheer fact that the Holy Spirit came to each one of us at a particular time when we were not seeking and began to create in us a desire, a seeking, which led to us receiving Christ. Father, would you cause us to realize this truth that you could have easily not had us in mind when you created us in our mother's wombs. But you did. You did according to your own decision, your own love. So, Father, here we are this morning. Those who are the objects of your love for no reason within ourselves, but because from the foundation of the world, you knew us, you loved us, you birthed us into this world, and then you rebirthed us, as it were, into the kingdom, giving us the grace-filled ability and desire to say yes to your gift of the Lord Jesus to us. Father, what a God you are. What a God you are. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Well, this morning, <clears throat> I think, and I th those of you who've been in the class more than maybe a week or two already know this, I think today we'll finish with this excursion into repentance as a result of the verse which has which says Judas changed his mind. Remember, seeing what was going on with Jesus, all of a sudden, Judas changed his mind. And so we have been dealing with the change of mind as to its application of the word repentance. Repentance being that word which is a God-generated grief, sorrow to some extent, when I say sorrow, when the Bible says sorrow, I don't know, and I don't believe it means I've just, I've sinned just then. I had a thought, I have a desire, that was sin. I don't think it means I'm crushed to the ground and I'm weeping and I'm wailing. I don't think it means that. Although in some circumstances, our sin should do that. But there is a sorrow that, oh, I've offended God. Because remember, sin is directed every time against God, and then secondarily having to do with us in this world or with others in our relationships. And so when the Holy Spirit grants that, produces that, and you notice we said the Holy Spirit grants and produces it because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can repent, correct? No one can repent. There's no such thing as repentance of the natural mind, man, the person 
apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, repentance causes the activity of sin and the danger of sin and the result of sin, which I have committed, to be overcome so that that sin will not be allowed to grow and to clutch and to damage me spiritually. And so we continue in our relationship with God. This morning we're talking about another kind of grief. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you remember in verse 10, Paul's talking about a godly grief that leads to rep- that produces repentance, that leads to what? Salvation. But there's also another kind of grief, and he calls it what? A worldly grief that leads to death. So let's look at that this morning. So last week we saw the godly grief that leads, produces a repentance that leads to life or leads to salvation. This morning we're talking about the other kind, and he says it's a worldly grief that leads to death. Now, what is a worldly grief? A worldly grief is being grieved over what we have done or said or thought as it impacts me or even as it impacts another person primarily. A worldly grief has to do with the results or the ramifications, reverberations of my sin as it has to do within the context of my life, my relationships, this worldly system. I've just stolen. Oh, my God, I'm going to go to jail. Oh, please, please. And then the consequences in a worldly way can very much grip our hearts to create in us a deep grief. We do see that. And one of the great dangers that I have seen as we've walked with people over the years, and especially as we have sat with people in the office in counseling, is this, that the person in front of us is expressing a deep grief. Tears, perhaps. Whatever it would be. And the assumption too often and too quickly can be this. This person is repenting. Are you following me on this? We look at the state of the person's emotions rather than looking at the target of his emotions or the source of his emotions. Are you following me? We look at the state of his emotions or her emotions. James is falling apart. I see the emotions, the state of this man is misery, is grief, is great deep sorrow. And yet we need to be very careful that we are led by the Spirit. May I repeat that? Not led by my own, what I see and hear, but being led by the Holy Spirit, who is the only one who can tell me the issue of the heart. I can't judge my own, let alone yours. 
So I see the state, Liz. I see you're falling apart. I see that. That's easy. You know, you're melting. I got it. But what I must see more importantly than the state is the source, is the reason, if you would, is the target of this emotion. And only the Holy Spirit can show me that. And if the target of the emotion is not, or if it's not produced by, and it's not about and for and from God, then it's a worldly grief. And the result of worldly grief is more worldliness, is being encaged and clutched more and more by the issues and the things of the world. Because what's happening in worldly grief is that we are giving ourselves into a worldly consequence and allowing the consequence and the activities and the demands and the issues of the world to more and more dominate and control me. Do we see what's happening here? And so rather than being delivered from the results of sin, we are being more and more clutched by the sin because it's worldly grief. So let me encourage you, the next time you're talking to a believer or someone you think is a believer or hope is a believer, and you see the outward working of grief, don't automatically believe that this is godly grief. Don't automatically believe. What's your first thing you do? What's the first thing you do? Ask the Holy Spirit. Give me discernment. Correct? Give me discernment. Give me the gift of knowledge here. Give me the gift of wisdom here. You remember the gifts of the Spirit are very important for us to function in in a very practical way with one another. And so you look at Judas. The man is falling apart. The guy is falling apart. And so looking at that, we would from the outside say, Darlene, that's godly grief. He's repenting. But how do I know that his grief was not repentance? Matthew 27, 5. He went out and he hanged himself. By the way, it's not hung himself, it's hanged. The correct grammatical way is hanged himself. Although it sounds good to to too many people. We just don't use it correctly enough. He hanged himself. So what does that mean, Charles? It means that the grief that he was experiencing was not of from and about God, but it was of, from, and about himself within the context of his role and his function in the society. Judas' change of mind resulted in his death. His worldly grief resulted in his death. So as an adjunct to this, Let me remind us and encourage us once again and even to warn us. When we sin, we must always ask God to produce in us a godly sorrow to whatever extent he does that. 
a godly remorse and protect us from worldly grief. And so if you've done something wrong and your first and really continuing maybe primary consideration and preoccupation is about you and the results to you and what they're going to say about you and what's going to happen to you. Be warned, that's worldly grief and you don't want that to continue in that in that less that sin more encompasses you. And so if you're experiencing that, and I think all of us have, haven't we all had that? Am I free of worldly grief, Steve? No. I'm a human being, believe it or not. I'm a human being, believe it or not. Caleb, I'm a human being. I saw the look on your face, can't be, but I'll at least nod yes. And when I feel that, Chris, that I, I, I see that worldliness in me. Because God's not a part of this right now. So what is my wife going to say? What is my job going to do? And all of those are my preoccupations. I must stop immediately and recognize that I'm in the wrong kind of grief and do what? Go to God and ask him, Father, I am in the wrong grief. This is not you. I ask you to intervene and overcome this kind of grief and give me the grief that I have committed against you first and primarily so I can truly be delivered from the consequence of this sin. All of us do this. I'm not about to tell you that I don't ever do it. Well, certainly I do it. But I have to war against it. I have to be given by the Holy Spirit discernment and revelation to war and walk and fight and resist it. Now, what what about Peter? Wow, Judas handed Jesus over. What about Peter? I mean, the guy's up there cursing and yelling and screaming and denying Jesus three different times. Do you remember that? And he wasn't condemned. What about him? You see, the difference is 2 Timothy 2.25. Remember 2 Timothy 2.25? Very, very important verse. Especially when we're considering who is making the choices and who is being led by whom and what. Second Timothy 2.25, Paul is talking about that God may grant them, the unbelievers, and by extension, even those who are in the church, that God may, and I want you to get this word, grant, grant, give. Because this is not something indigenous to us. What do I mean by that? It's not something, Jody, of who we are by the nature. It's something which you have to be given. That God may what? Grant them repentance. Those who have been. Can somebody help me what this verse says? Those who have been what? Captured by. Am I in the right verse? Okay, go ahead. You can talk to me. Captured by the devil to do. His will. You see, the issue is not so much about man's free will. The issue is more about man's freed will. That's the issue. In relation to God, before we're saved, our will is captured by Satan. Do you see it? Did I make that up, Andy? Do you believe the Bible? Coach, do you believe the Bible? It's captured. And that captivity must be broken and will be broken and is broken at the cross. 
And the cell is unlocked in the resurrection. So Peter is granted forgiveness. Well, what's the deal here? You see, the issue of God granting, very important here. The issue of God granting is the personal prerogative of the exercise of God's sovereignty. God grants because he is God, and it is always right for him to grant as he pleases. Amen? Our problem is that we don't like it, and we want to evaluate God's granting or lack of granting and accuse God of things. We who are finite and live in bodies that are wrapped in sin. And we are going to evaluate God. Now, how many of us in this room have ever evaluated God? Come on, come on. Do you see not only the foolishness, but the devilishness of it? Amen? Not only the foolishness, Mo, because you can't. Diana, you can't, as I say. You can't. It's not only foolish. It's demonic. It's demonic. It's worse than foolish. It's demonic. And so God's granting is a function of his sovereign prerogative. No other being has this Every other being functions according to a different set of rules, being under the control and manipulated by other issues. God is the only assay being, who? A space SE. In other words, the only assay, self existent being. Nothing at all forever. Having to any extent whatsoever any ability to influence him. Or to make him. What God does, he does out of the eternal character of his own being. Nothing external to God can move God. Oh, I know the Bible says this one moved God, but he moved God according to the will of God in keeping with the character and the purpose of God. Amen. So don't ever get this thought, I can move God. That's foolish. God grants. Look at some of these verses. I don't know whether Evan put them in the notes with you. John 5, 26. Jesus is speaking here. For as the Father has life in himself, God is life in himself. He has granted, granted, granted to the Son to also have life in himself. 625 of John. No one can come to the Father unless it is what? Granted by, uh, no one can come to me unless it is what? Granted him. By the Father. 
Now, this begins to diminish, I think, this understanding of a person's personal prerogative and ability apart from God to seek for and to call upon God. And then when the person calls upon God, God foreknows. That's what, how they use this verse, foreknows that this person will have called upon me, therefore this person will be saved. Foolishness. It doesn't, what does this verse just say? Who has the initiative here? Who takes control? Who? The person of God. When he says God grants you, what does that mean? You're in charge of God. You're the recipient. God is the initiator of anything and everything of our life. Everything and anything. God is in charge. Acts eleven eighteen. <clears throat> To the Gentiles, he's sending Paul, I'm, you know, we're sending, okay. To the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So how are these Gentile believers, how are these Gentiles becoming believers? God has granted. When did he grant this? Ephesians 1, 4, before the foundation of the world. God decided to grant to a certain people the grace to be saved by faith. Correct? Well, I don't like that. I think it should be my decision. Well, honey child, if it's your decision, you ain't never going to be saved. Because it's impossible for the natural mind, the natural man who is dead in sin. Even the Bible says he cannot. It's impossible for that person to call upon the name of the Lord apart from the working personal power of God in the heart and mind of that believer. Ephesians 3.16, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man. So when do we see the Apostle Peter being granted the ability to repent? Because we said Peter repented. Peter's grief was godly grief. How do I know that? How do I know Peter's grief was godly grief? How do I know that? How do I know it was godly grief? Hmm? He lived. He had life. Are you with me on this? The proof that is godly grief is not in the issue of the grief. It's in the issue of the fruit of the grief. Are you walking with me this morning? So I know when my grief is godly, most essentially... Because of what it produces in me. If it produces a greater fellowship, a greater dependence, a greater joy and peace, a greater ability by the Spirit to overcome, that's godly grief. If it produces in me something about me and fear in me and all of that, and I understand sin has those issues, but secondarily so. And those are the issues It's worldly grief. 
And I need, if you would, to jump the hmm out of it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We can't say certain things because we're on a, a, a what do you call this, a tape or something. <laughs> be quiet. Now, <laughs> so Luke 22, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny, deny me. You're going to do to me what Judas did. Is there any real difference here? You're going to do to me the same thing Judas did. But then what is 22, what is it, 32 or 33? What's 33? I have prayed. Which verse is that? 33, right? 22, 33? Okay. 22, 32. Very important. Here's the reason why the apostle Peter was saved and why he was used in great power. This is the reason. Because I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when, not if. Did you get it? Not if. Oh, Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, brother. And I hope that you come through this. What kind of a God is that? He's sweating it out in heaven. And when you are what? Converted. Converted. That's the work of the Spirit changing us. When you're converted, what will happen? What are you going to do? You're going to strengthen others. Now, Jesus granted Peter repentance that led to salvation. But he did not grant it to Judas. Now, we have a problem. And the problem is not with God. Mike, the problem is with me. And my fallen, prideful disposition... An arrogance of thinking I have a right to know and understand everything. And had the ability to figure out everything. That's what's in the way. The problem is on my side, not on God's side. Had Jesus prayed for Judas, would Judas have repented? Yes. Yes. But Jesus did not pray for Judas. In fact, in 17, wow, how am I like that? 17, 12, 17, 17 of John. Jesus, I don't pray for the world. By the way, please stop praying for the world. Oh, Father, I pray for the world. Stop it. Jesus said, I don't even do that. See, Jesus, why didn't he pray for Judas? Why? What does this mean? Does that mean that there are certain people we shouldn't pray for? No, it doesn't mean that in a general sense you pray for everyone you know, except if God tells you not to pray. Well, God would never do that. Well, read Jeremiah. Three different times he says to Jeremiah, what? Don't pray anymore for these people. Stop it. 
I ain't listening. You know, I ain't listening. He said, stop praying. You see, you're in trouble the day God says, I'm not letting people pray for you. That's danger. He could have prayed for him. He could have prayed for him. But he refused to. Why? Because you see, Jesus said something that we need to all make sure we remember and walk in. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. I have not come just to pray about it and be good to people and be nice. I have pray, come to do the will of him who sent me. And it was not God's will that Judas be saved. Because remember, from the beginning, he is called the son of perdition. You remember we talked about that? You remember that? Now, if you have a problem with it, the problem isn't with God. It's with us. It's with what we, our fallen sense of fairness and justice. Because in some way, we feel that humanity deserves something from God's sovereign will that he does not give us. Right? Anybody, you don't feel this sometimes? How many of you have had these feelings? I have to wrestle against it. Jesus knew the will of God in relation to both men and prayed according to that will. Listen to this. 664 of John. But there are some among you, Judas and the others, who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning. Genesis 1-1. From the beginning, when? Genesis 1-1. John 1-1. Who they were who did not believe and who it was meaning Judas, who would betray him, who it was. And so why didn't they believe? Listen to John 10, 26. Very important. You do not believe because you're not my sheep. Now, most people would say you're not my sheep because you don't believe. Huh? You're not my sheep because you don't believe. That's not what Jesus said. That's what's taught too often in churches. You're not saved because you haven't called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's true in one sense, but it's not true if the calling is indigenous and is the fruit of my personal will. He says, you're not saved. He says, you're not my people. I'm sorry, saved, what? Because you're not my people, which means what? Only those who are the sheep of God having been sheeped by him, if you would, before the foundation of the world, are going to hear the gospel call and say yes to Jesus. Now, there are people who hate that. They hate it, I believe, because it is something antagonistic to the natural person. We have in us, because of the fall an antagonism, an innate feeling and thought, this isn't right. Come on, come on. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit? It comes from Satan who said to Eve, it's not right for God to withhold that fruit. Do you see it? Do you see it in Genesis 3? Do you see it? Those thoughts, those feelings are now embedded 
embedded and inbred in us as those who have been born in Adam. That's Satan. He's the one who introduced those thoughts to Eve. She decided to go with them, but he's the one who introduced it. Be careful. The best we can do, if we're going to do anything about this verse or these verses, is to say, Father, I don't understand. Help my understanding. Correct? Now, let me try to get through the last part of it. This means that it not, was not within God's eternal purpose to grant repentance to Judas, but it was the purpose of granting repentance to Peter. Judas could have been saved had Jesus prayed for him. The very, very difficult reality is this. Family members can be saved. Friends can be saved. People going to Alpha can be saved. Only if Jesus prays for them. Not because of the excellency of the presentation of the gospel. Aren't you glad? I am very glad it doesn't depend on the excellency of this man. Ain't nobody be saved. This is a difficulty. Isn't it for you? And it's something that gets to the very core of our being. And, and how many of you can truthfully say... I don't like it. I'm the only one who can say that. I, I don't like this. It bothers me. Does it bother anyone? Why shouldn't Jesus pray for my... So that he or she could be saved. <clears throat> so what we do, we try to turn up the heat of our evangelistic activity. Amen. Amen. Now, it is right to be aggressively evangelistic in a loving way. Aggressively evangelistic, loving. Did you get all those words? That's exactly who I am. Be quiet. Now, Jamal's in trouble over here. Everybody knows Jamal Jones. He's in trouble. And so we, we turn up the heat of our evangelistic pursuit. Now, that may or may not be God. But if we have any thought that if I say this or if I do that, then we have made ourselves the Holy Spirit. And that's called idolatry. So what do I do? Ask God and listen to him and walk in what he says. I've heard and seen too many preachers, and you've done it too, 
who thunder and thunder and plead and cajole. Now, in the Alpha Retreat, for instance, some, how many of you have been to the Alpha Retreats? You'll see when I speak at the Alpha Retreats on a Friday night and we give the gospel call, I give opportunity for people and I just share with them, here's what's going on. And if you're feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit and whatever, I encourage them in what I hope God is doing in them. I don't say, if you don't do that and tonight you leave here and you die, you're going right to hell. That's not God. Because it is impossible that if Dawn is going to be saved and tonight she didn't receive Christ, she cannot be hit and killed tonight. Bob, do you believe me? It's impossible, right, Andy? Because if God has ordained that she be saved, Jesus has prayed for, ain't nothing on earth and all the kingdom of Satan can do anything to stop you from being saved. Which is going to be your free receiving of Christ. (laughs) So, how can we explain it? Here's how we can explain. Here's, here is, I believe, the only acceptable, God-honoring, God-glorifying explanation of why does Jesus pray for some and why does he not pray for others. Here is what I believe is the explanation. Romans eleven thirty three. Paul has just gone through this. In, in first eight chapters, the whole gospel, justification by faith. <clears throat> and then in 10, uh, 8, uh, 9, 10, 11, he's gone through the whole issue of what? The elective decision of God. And then he stops at the end of it, and he, I can just see him stand there. And he says, oh, the depth, both of the riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. I, I don't get it, he says. I've just taught you the truth. But I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You must get that verse in you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. What? The what? Secret things belong to the Lord. So for those things that God hasn't openly explained to us. Shh. Leave them alone. But those things have been given to us or what? Or for us. Do you see it in that verse? But where you don't understand, don't go crawling around. Ask God for explanations and understanding. I ask God regularly, can you explain that to me? Sometimes he does. How many have ever asked for God's explanation and he gives it to us? But often he also what? He don't. That didn't even wake up Jane King. I mean, come on. He doesn't. He's another English teacher in here. We have two of us. Be careful. So often he doesn't. So what do we do when he doesn't? Here's what I do when he doesn't. I like that. Do what he doesn't. I thank him for being sovereign. And thank him that whatever he decides and doesn't decide to do, whether I understand it or not, he is right and good. I must need to protect my hearts, my soul's feelings and imaginations from Satan's deceptions and machinations. 
Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you've heard these. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. So this, by what right, by what right, authority right, does Jesus possess such authority over us, even over our ability to repent unto salvation? By what right? Let me read you these verses that you already know. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. They bear reading regularly. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. We taught this, preached about this when the men were on retreat. If you don't get this little section of verses, go get that tape. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers of authority or authorities. All things were created by him or through him, rather, and for him. Very important, for his benefit, not our primary benefit, but for his primarily. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the preeminence or be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Then in 2, 3, the next chapter. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He is the head of all rule and authority. Now, this is the one who will appear before the judgment seat of Rome to be judged by sinful men and sentenced to death. This is the one who will come before Pilate. Not poor little Jesus. This mighty God comes before the mighty power of Rome on earth. This is what's going to happen. We'll talk about this next week. Be praying for the sermon this morning and the one who delivers it. Thank you.